0: Welcome to Canucks Corner, a podcast in which I, Aaron Lane, give you the skinny on what the Canucks have done recently, how they fared in a recent game, and what's next for the team in the week to come. The pregame show. This is the part of the podcast in which I let you know how the Canucks have done since the last podcast, where they sit in the standings, and any extra news or information I think you need to know. And the first piece of information I think you need to know is that... It is January 17th, 2017 and the Canucks have just come back from a short road trip and they're back at home and they've just played three games. One of those games we're going to uh, get into detail about and the other two games we're going to mention along the way. I'm also going to note how they did in the standings and how the Canucks are doing scoring wise and I'm going to let you know the statistics or some thereof. Anyway, let's start with the standings. Well, things look pretty much the same as they did last week. We've got Minnesota, Chicago, and St. Louis up at the top of the uh, the Central there. Then we've got Anaheim, Edmonton, and San Jose in the Pacific. And that gives us the wildcard uh, positions of Calgary and Los Angeles right now at 51 and 48 points respectively. Now right behind 48 points is 47 points with Nashville, and 46 points with the Canucks in Dallas. So as you can tell, things are quite close. We're not out of it yet, but we're not in it yet. So things are okay. Things continue to be okay. (laughs) And we'll see how we got to that spot shortly as we go through the games that were in the last week. So let's begin with that game on Tuesday, January 10th. Canucks at Nashville. Well, this one uh not a lot to say about it. I think I only saw part of the third period and the overtime. Well, boiler alert. <laughs> anyway, the Nashville Predators got out one to nothing in the second period. The Canucks went ahead and struggled mightily in the third and it came down to Sutter scoring with 49 seconds left, once again with the goalie pulled for that empty net, and the Canucks tie the game at 1. It then goes into overtime, and the Canucks have a couple of really good chances. Predators have a couple of really good chances, and with about a minute left in overtime, they score and win the game 2-1. to one. So, there's that point that I figured the Canucks would get. I'm not too surprised. We could have won that, had one of those overtime opportunities had it gone in and one point out of Nashville isn't too bad. Hoi vey, now we're into Philly. Now, the good news is that Philadelphia was kind of on a losing streak. Well, not so much a losing streak as kind of like a not-quite-winning-as-much streak. (laughs) Anyway, they were were not on top of their game, and that showed very early as the Canucks got ahead with uh, first, helpfully, couple of Flyers went in the penalty box. We had a nice five-on-three uh, power play. Daniel Sedin scores from Sketcher and Henrik, I believe. And then the Flyers score and then Granlin scores and Horvath is, gets an assist and Granlin gets another goal and the Flyers get more goals and it's crazy. It's all of a sudden it's 3-2, three, 3-3, three, three, and then Sutter scores. And this gives Sutter two points, a goal and an assist. Magna gets an assist on that, so that gives Megna two points as well for two assists. So it's 4-4, four, four, or it's 4-3. And then they come back and they tie it up. Goes into overtime, undecided in overtime. We have a fairly good chance get the puck close to their goal line, but it gets stopped ultimately. Go into the shootout and... Claude Drew steps up and takes a good shot and scores and he's he gets the only goal and the Flyers end up winning that one but I'm happy one point in Philly I didn't think we'd get one point in Philly so we've already got our two points for the week as far as I'm concerned again we got a bonus game and guess what our bonus game is that's right it's the third game of the week Sunday January 15th which means that it's our feature game yeah all right so we'll see how the Canucks did on that feature game now we're going to try something a little bit different We're going to take a look at how the Canucks stand points-wise individually and some of the stats that go along with it. So, surprise, surprise, 45 games into the schedule. The top point-getter is Bo Horvat. Yeah, I know, right? He's got 30 points, 13 goals, and 17 assists. So, 30 points in 45 games, I mean, that's not awesome. Like, that's not unbelievable. But for a younger guy, it's a good number. It's a good total. It's a good place to be. Coincidentally, it's on top of the team. Probably shouldn't be. If the Canucks were a contender, if they were a playoff contender, odds are Horvath would be third or fourth in scoring behind the Sedins and possibly somebody else. But the Canucks are as they are, and Horvath finds himself on top. And in the All-Star game, yeah, we just got news that Bo got... Selected to the All Star game, this weird new format where the divisions play each other, and he gets to be our only representative. The, the Sedines were shut out this time, and, and rightly so, because they're not living up to they're not living up to what they've normally done. But they're older and the whole thing, so that's completely understandable. Nevertheless, good for Bo. Well done. Now let's take a look at some of these other numbers. Speaking of the Sedin's, Henrik is next with 28 points, nine and 19. Daniel with 25. Now, that's a little bit of a dip there, 11 and 14. Sven Barchi has 11 goals, the same as Daniel. Now, <laughs> if you would ask Sven at the beginning of the season, "Hey, 45 games into the season, you're gonna have as many goals as Daniel," he'd probably say, well, "Was Daniel injured for like half the year?" <laughs> no seriously it's it's a it's a nice surprise that Sven has done so well, and he has thirteen assists, so twenty four points, just one behind Daniel. That's a great spot for Sven to be not a great spot, like I said for Daniel to be necessarily, but there you go right behind them Brandon Sutter probably the the guy that I think has is kind of Vancouver's unsung hero right now. I mean the young guys are getting a lot of credit, the old guys are like they're you're getting their credit Brandon Sutters sorry uh Brandon Sutter has continuously shown that he can do everything he needs to do he wins face-offs, he penalty kills, he gets his offensive chances, he gets his goals, he pushes hard, and he gets good result. Then, that's at 23 points, Brandon Sutter at 23 points, and then Louis Erickson at 20, Granlund at 19, another young guy doing alright, and Burroughs at 16. Now, that's only in 39 games, he missed a few, but yikes. If you're going to have a guy like Burroughs in your lineup, he, he's got to be producing more than that. He's got to be, for the money that you're paying a guy, he's got to have more than 16 points in 39 games. But, you know, he's trying i'm not saying that he isn't and i'm not saying that he's not thinking exactly the same thing because i'm sure he is it's just for a couple of years now we've been thinking maybe it's time to move somebody like burroughs he's an awesome guy i guarantee that he's an awesome guy but if you want some production if you want a space to put a younger player so he can get some experience, then maybe maybe Burroughs should have been moved along before now. But hey, you know what? If he's adding to the chemistry in the dressing room and he's helping the younger guys along, then there's other ways to add to the team to show your value. And if he's doing that, then I've got no problem. Like I said, the don't expect the Canucks to be Stanley Cup contenders this year anyway. So as long as he's showing value for what he's getting, then I, I ultimately don't have a problem with it. But it's just sad to see such a good player, historically such a good player, have such a non have such an unproductive season. Anyway, I'm just going to mention one more player after Burroughs, Troy Stetcher. As I've said, he's really impressed me as a guy willing to take shots. He works really hard and he's got a jump in his step. So I like, I like what he brings to the table. And to be in the top 10 in scoring, to be one of the top defensemen, and now I'm looking. Wait, Orvat, Sadin, Sadin, Barchi, Sutter, Erickson, Granlin, Burroughs. Oh, excuse me. To be the top scoring defenseman of the Vancouver Canucks 45 games into the season. Hey, what can he say? Mind you, that might say something again, a little bit more about Edler and Tanev, who perhaps should have more of an offensive upside, although they have been injured. So there you go. Sometimes you look at these statistics and you get a little bit more of a, an idea of why things are the way they are. But I mean, again, not a terrible situation by any means as we're just outside of a playoff spot so as perhaps unimpressive as some of these numbers look sometimes it doesn't matter sometimes it's just a team game and everybody chips in and you get goals when you get goals and you get wins when you get wins now the only other thing I want to look at here is plus minus plus minus plus-minus. Plus-minus tends to be that stat where you get a real sense for the intangibles of a player now Brandon Sutter is at a minus 12 that's pretty rough but you can look at the fact that Brandon Sutter tends to play against the top line tends to get matched up against the biggest threat on the other side because he can win face-offs and he's a good defensive center so being at minus 12, although it is not where you want to be, is at least understandable. Whereas Henrik at minus 11, Daniel at minus 8, Erickson at minus 8, even Granlin at minus 12, those numbers really kind of hurt you. They kind of tell you, okay, there's probably some issues with what's going on here. And I've been talking already quite a bit about the Sedins and how they're, they just don't seem to be up to snuff this year to what we've expected them to be. And I think that number tells it quite strongly. That not only offensively are they not controlling the play and controlling the puck as they used to and then putting the puck in the net, but with those sizable minuses, what it means is the other team is scoring often against them, which historically hasn't been a big factor because the Sedins generally, again, hold on to the puck a lot. And the other thing is they're pretty strong defensively now. At the beginning of their careers, maybe not so much, obviously, but they learned how to be stronger players and there was... I think a number of years there were, they were definitely in the positives throughout the year. So to be into the negatives at this point, I think, is, again, another sign of their declining overall play. Granlin's minus 12 could well be a combination of things. Perhaps he's paired with Sutter quite a bit, and that's probably most of it, actually. Perhaps it's because he's a younger player. He's not quite learned that defensive style yet. But the shining stars right now, at that happy, perfectly even zero, Bo Horvath. Hey, what leading the team, and a zero plus minus. Sven Barchi, plus four. Alexander Burrows, plus two. Got to give him credit. I threw some shade on him there, but he at least has a plus two. I'll give him that. And Stetcher, to round out the core, I think, is a minus four. But yeah, Horvat at a zero and Sven at a four. Again, showing that they're not only taking care of things offensively, That they're using that young energy to take care of things defensively as well. And that's really, really strong and very, very good to see. Just a quick look at one more stat. Shots on net. Now again, I've made quite a significant mention of Stetcher who can actually shoot the puck, who tends to shoot the puck. So we'll start with Stetcher. He's sitting at 85 shots on net in 36 games. And that's pretty nice. Compared to, say, Alex Burroughs with three more games, he's got 78 shots, so that's seven less shots. Grandland, 74 shots, playing all 45 games. So, Stetcher is doing all right. Surprisingly to me, anyway, Daniel does have 114 shots. He's leading the team. Brandon Sutter, 97 shots. Louis Erickson, 90 shots. So, the players who should be getting the shots are getting the shots. Bo Horvat, 78 shots. Barchief. 83 shots, so that I think tells you maybe if you broke it down for ice time, possibly Barchi and Horvat are getting some pretty close numbers shots-wise to Daniel and Brandon and Louis, as they're not too far off the total. But that said, with 13 goals and 78 shots, that's a pretty good shooting percentage. That's a 16.7 shooting percentage, which leads the team along with Henrik, of course, who doesn't shoot as often, so doesn't get as many goals. But Bo's showing that he's de- the definite leader of the team right now offensively, and that's pretty cool. Now, speaking of Bo, got a little personal story to tell, which you might be already clued in on if you're following my Twitter, or my Facebook for that matter, as I have a Facebook as well. My son and I had an opportunity to see Bo Horvath last Friday. He was at the new Rogers store in metropolis metrotown in burnaby and we had an opportunity to go stand in line and wait our turn and then get one thing signed each and just have a moment with him to get a photograph and the whole thing now my son my son as it turns out is a penguins fan it it, it hurts me to say it sometimes but it's true and i asked him why and he said well penguins are my favorite animal so you know what can you do what can you do? So what I did do, we, we watched the Penguins win the Stanley Cup last year, and he was excited for that, and that got him into hockey, and so I'm not going to complain about any situation where he's getting into hockey. I mean, that's great. Also, Sidney Crosby, important Canadian figure in hockey, and Mario Lemieux, Yarmir Jaeger, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a good team if you're going to have a favorite team historically and currently so that's not too bad but try to get him back I tried to get him back to the Canuck side and try to get him to pick a player that he'd be interested in and when we went to that Columbus game he I asked him to choose between Barchi and Horvath and he would cheer for that player for that game. Well, he chose Horvath, and he cheered for Bo that game, and Bo got an assist, if I remember correctly. And he seemed pretty happy with the situation. And then the next time we were watching, I was watching hockey at home, he actually came up to me and asked me how Bo was doing, and then sat down and watched the game with me for a little bit. So that was very cool. So when this opportunity came to get Bo Horvat's signature, it was finally at a point where he was willing to admit that he had a favorite Canuck, and Bo is his favorite Canuck. And my son actually opened up a Bo Horvat hockey card at Christmas. And even though they're my pack of hockey cards that I was letting him ho- open up, I let him have the card because he asked for it. And again, just trying to help him along the way. So with Bo firmly entrenched in him, we went to go get his autograph. And my son had his Canucks jersey, and I had the Bo Horvat card. And then my son went up and got The jersey signed and just smiled from ear to ear as Bo said something to him and patted him on the back and was just generally a really nice guy. And then I got to take a picture of the two of them. And then I came up, got the hockey card signed, and then Bo was about to take a picture with me when he saw my son standing behind me and waved my son in. And instead of just getting a picture with me, we got the picture with all three of us. And that was a really classy move by Bo. I was I was really impressed by that. So yeah, Bo really stepped up and became one of my favorite players too. It's nice to see that even when you start getting some success like this, that you can still be that good guy that you normally are. And it's nice to see that Bo is one of these guys. So, well done, Bo. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Alright, now I suppose it is time for the featured game. Game time. This is a part of the podcast where I get to tell you about a feature game. give you some details about what happened in the Canucks in that specific game and any thoughts or ideas I had in regard to the way they played or some of the things that happened. New Jersey Devils at Vancouver on this would be Sunday January 15th, so just this last Sunday passed a couple days ago. The Canucks had just come off those two overtime and shootout losses there where they picked up a point and as I said they were pretty much playing with gravy at this point. They had an opportunity to get some extra points because the Devils were definitely a team that we could beat. Additionally, we got the good news that both Alexander Edler and Chris Tanev were back in the lineup and if you look at those stats again it looks like we win like 70 or 80 percent of the games that they're in. So that was good news. In the first period We start with Brandon Sutter taking advantage of a forward on defense for a good chance and basically just being a solid energy player getting the job done. Granlund was using his body to not let devils get to the net which was kind of nice to see that back checking and we just mentioned that he was a minus minus 12 I think minus 11 so shows that he's definitely taking his defensive responsibilities seriously and that he's being effective at it. So... Hopefully that number will change. Then we have the first big chance of the game. Henrique of the Devils comes in all alone basically on Markstrom. And Markstrom makes this nice blocker save. And that really sets the tone, I think. Oh, of note here, Corey Schneider's in the other net. You know, ex-Canuck Corey Schneider, who was ultimately traded for a draft pick, who turned out to be Bo Horvat. So nice little story goes along there as well as... We have the Bo versus Corey show, along with everything else. Anyway, in the first period, we also have Alexander Edler looking pretty strong, getting some shots, getting some hits, like the one on Parento. Things looked pretty good for him at the beginning. Biega gets the puck after the Sedin cycle a bit and hits the post. Then Biega gets a hit on Bennett, which was a nice shot. So nice to see Biega getting in there. Markstrom was just solid through this period. He made a couple of really tough saves. He didn't make a lot of saves, but the saves he did make were pretty tough saves. So the Canucks get their first power play. Granlin was in the devil's zone, actually, I think, and he was interfered with. Is it that devil's zone? Anyway, Granlin was interfered with. Quincy goes to the box. Horvat, at one point, is going off for line change, so he chips the puck in to the zone too hard. And it quite easily goes all the way to Schneider, who stops it, gets it to his defenseman. They get it out quick. wasn't the the greatest situation for Bo there. The Devils work pretty hard against the boards. They get the puck. And just to show you how the Canucks set up on the power play, they knew after they won the puck to pass it straight into the slot. Because they'd know no Canuck was there. (laughs) It's, you know, it's a sad truth, right? That the Canucks end up in the slot and in front of the net so seldom that the opposing team knows that they could probably pass it there quite safely. And if that's the case, you've got a broken power play. You don't have a power play that's clicking if you don't have guys in front of the net and in the slot. But that's the Canucks. That, that's been their style for a long time. Just play around the, the perimeter, around the perimeter, and then come in at certain times to sneak in to get the pass, across ice, and all that stuff, and, you know, the drill. I'm not a big fan of it, mostly because now... Like I said, they just don't have the talent to pull off those really clever plays and they need to change. They need to get back to basic power play hockey. Getting to the puck to the points, getting men in front of the net, going for rebounds, getting into the slot, and just getting the puck on net consistently instead of going around and around in circles forever and then losing the puck. Anywho, that's enough about the power play. Suffice it to say... It didn't do too well. Last note about the first period. Burroughs actually made this really nice play where he gloves the puck out of the zone when Edler had pinched and it, the Devils had, had kind of a outmanned opportunity against the Canucks. Burroughs smartly gets an opportunity to knock the puck out with his hand, and he does so. And that worked out all right. So we end up with zeros in the first period. Second period, the Canucks get another power play. Horvat actually does some good work against the boards, but it's it's just that it's got poor setup. They, The Devils are pressing hard with their penalty kill, and the Canucks aren't in the right spots, and then the Canucks get the puck into the zone fine, but they just can't set up because the Devils put pressure on them, and they just don't have the right crew out there. And this is the second unit, by the way. They don't have the right crew out there to react well enough to that pressure and to be in the right spaces at the right times. And unfortunately, the second unit doesn't do much better than the first did in the first period, despite Horvat's good board work there. Have another opportunity to call a penalty because someone hooked Sketcher, but no penalty called there. Spisa poked away a scoring chance, so that was nice. Good defensive play there. And then <laughs> Tramkin ends up in front of the net with the Sedins' you know, passing the puck between them, and they pass it to Tramkin, and Tramkin's all like, what I do? (laughs) And he's not quite Pavel Bury right there, and he's not able to get, you know, a stick on the puck, or he deflects it into the corner or something like this. So I give him credit for, for jumping up in the play and giving himself an opportunity. He doesn't quite make it happen. And then Louis Erickson scores from Daniel. So nice, quick moves to get the puck around. And finally, instead of cycling for like 10 minutes, they get a couple of moves in, and Ericsson takes that shot and scores. And that's what I like to see. If you're going to have an opportunity to take a shot at this point, you just got to. You got to take more of those those quick shots. And it looked like they were starting to to do that in this game at this point. Edler ends up... <laughs> just to show you how the game goes, Edler actually elbows Markstrom at some point. And it's kind of funny because he obviously didn't mean it, and it could have been much worse than it was. But Markson's a tough guy, and he takes the elbow. And then I see, remember I was talking about how you can maintain control of the puck while on a line change? Well, in the second period here, the Canucks do just that. And they actually change while controlling the puck in the devil's zone. So that's like your extra special line change, when not only you get a line change, but you do it while in the opponent's offensive you know defensive zone that's a pretty special thing if you can do that for once in a while that's a good deal then we have sketcher trying to do a wraparound again i I give him all the credit in the world unfortunately not used to this or there's just bad ice back there and he bails on his way around and doesn't really get a scoring chance then we have the new jersey goal it seemed to be a regular pressure situation and really it kind of looks like it was deflected maybe by Granlund. But the important thing was, I think, that it was a shot from the point with a man in front, which this is all I want. (laughs) That's all I want the Canucks to do. Take the shot from the point, man in front, maybe a deflection like this, maybe a deflection from your player, maybe a deflection from their player, right? Either way, you got a chance to score that way. You hold on to the puck for five minutes, skating around and around and around. Fantastic. But I'd rather have you know, 15 seconds and a shot from the point and a goal or deflection and a rebound and whatever, then a couple of minutes cycling in a corner. Now, if you can combine both of those things, we got something. You do some cycling, and that's when the the Canucks were really, really good. When the Sedines were cycling in the corner, they'd spend an entire shift down there, and they were scoring to put themselves ahead. And so when you're ahead of the game and you're cycling and putting pressure on them, and tiring them out that's a win-win but when you're struggling and it's a tie game or you're one goal back and you're cycling for two minutes and you don't get a goal then then it ends up hurting you so anyway 1-1 tie last note of the second period off the draw Edler waits to shoot until traffic in front and there's almost a rebound opportunity so right there Edler not only does what I want him to do but literally I saw him pause I saw him get the puck at the point and pause and wait just a sec for someone to get in front of the net. And it took a sec, and a Canuck kind of crossed in the general direction. He figured, I better get it off now, otherwise it would be blocked or whatever. So he fires it off, and Schneider could still see the puck really well, so he was able to stop it. But that's the idea, and if he can get the other Canucks thinking the same thing, that Canuck gets there a little bit quicker, and Schneider can't see the shot all of a sudden, and good things happen, but... I give Edler a bunch of credit for giving it a go. Third period, Sketcher does this interesting slide check during this period in which they have some very nice team defense around, uh, around their defensive zone. So that was looking pretty good. Unfortunately, we end up with a penalty. Daniel hooks a guy because the puck went past him on a cycle, and that's the worst, of course. Not only if you don't score, but if they take the puck from you, then you're frustrated. Right? You've been cycling for a while and you were controlling the puck and now they're gonna get it and you gotta start all over again from scratch. And so you're frustrated. So he hooks the guy trying to get the puck back and gets the penalty. During that penalty kill, Burrows makes a good clear. Sutter even has a really nice penalty, uh has a really nice shorthanded goal chance, and the Canucks are aggressive and they're effective. And it was a good penalty kill. In the third period in a tie game. That was just, that was the way to go. Now, the Devils were getting guys in front. And strangely enough, Biega draws a penalty in his own zone, which was awesome. So we kill off that, you know, our penalty. We kill off our penalty, and then Biega draws a penalty in the defensive zone, which is fantastic. On that power play, though, even worse than the previous two. Horvat gets a a poor shot at some point on the sideboards about halfway down. He takes this hard shot up high, and it basically hits the, the back glass and swings right around and goes right out of the zone. Now, back in the old days, Bobby Hull, when those goaltenders didn't used to wear masks, he used to come in, in, that, in that position, and he knew his chance of scoring was very low. But he also knew if he took that shot and missed there'd be enough guys behind him that it wouldn't cause anyone a problem. And it wasn't usually on a power play. It was usually breaking into the zone. And he breaks in, gets down the boards along the side, and winds up for that slap shot, that patented Bobby Hall slap shot. And he fires it right by the goalie's ear. So the golden jet gets on in there, fires it past the goalie's ear, and the goalie is freaked out. 100-mile-an-hour, you know, 90-mile-an-hour slap shot right past his head. Goaltender's not going to be happy about that. Then the next time Bobby Hall comes down, guess what that goalie's thinking? I better protect my head because he's going to kill me. And then Bobby winds up and fires it right between his legs, right? Goaltender's now not paying attention to goaltending. He's suddenly trying to survive. And Bobby puts it exactly where he wants to, and he scores a goal. So a little bit of psychology there. But that's like old-school psychology back in the day, and certainly not what Horvat was intending there. At least, I don't think so. Could be wrong. But I see that happen another time in this game, where there, there's a hard shot from the side boards. And numbers-wise, it's just not a good shot to take. I mean, okay, okay. <laughs> I love shots on net, and you know that. But there's a time and a place. There's the right type of shot to make, and there's the wrong type of shot to make. So here's the right type of shot to make. From the point, with guys in front, you shoot low, low, you shoot hard and you shoot on net. Okay. Low, hard, on net. Better chance for rebounds, better chance for deflections. Okay? When you're on the sideboards and you fire a hard shot upwards, then your chance of scoring is going to be very, very slim. The chance of that puck leaving the zone or leaving your possession is high. You're not going to get a deflection into the net very often. You're not going to get you're not going to get a rebound very often if it hits the goaltender. It probably hits him in the chest, and he just smothers it, or he grabs it with his block or his uh, his glove hand. It's not a high percentage shot. Now that said, Bo could have been taking a regular shot, and a stick could have got in front of him and deflected it up. I'm not sure because I wasn't able to see it that closely or that carefully. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps something like that happened. But generally speaking, if you're going to take a shot, make it a high possibility for something good happening instead of shot like that where there's a low possibility okay that's enough of that they get zero shots on that power play and i think two shots overall for the three power plays that said later on after the penalty's over biega gets a good shot with barchi in front and something almost happened see these are the things i'm talking about (sighs) and then the devils get this bank shot off of markstrom from behind the net saw the replay like five times still don't know how that went in (laughs) it was it was bizarre obviously it went in off of markstrom hit his pad probably and then snuck through so it's two to one devils and then desjardins does something unexpected he challenges the goal not on the puck crossing the line or anything like that he challenges the goal on the offside now apparently got the call from upstairs but but it's an amazing choice it's an amazing call because coming across the line if i'm not mistaken was was hall and he's coming across the line and as he crosses the line His left skate crosses the line as the puck is still on the line, which would be fine as long as the puck comes across before the right skate does. But he lifts his right skate up. And as soon as he lifts his right skate up with the puck still on the line, he's offside. His left skate is on the ice in the zone. So the goal doesn't count. And it's still 1-1. And I'm like, wow. That I didn't expect that. That's that's amazing. Wonderful. woohoo! So then later, Spisa gets a one-time shot from the point. Schneider makes a good glove save. Horvat has a good interception in his own zone and shifts it up ice and gets a... He ends up getting a turn of play, but I don't think he gets a shot. Edler gets called for uh, tripping a guy because he had a stick on the ice and the guy trips over his stick. But the guy gets it for diving as well, for embellishment. So they both go to the box. And this is the other shot that I was mentioning. Sutter, who... I said I've liked so far in this game, takes that shot just like Horvat from the edge of the board about halfway down, and it goes around and out of the zone as well. So, not great. Eriksson gets the puck from Horvat later and gets a good shot on net, good try anyway, but I think he shoots it high as well because my next note is, get shots down and on net. I don't know, I don't know how many more goals the Canucks would have if that was the case. These players are so good. And these goaltenders are so big with, with their their presence in that that they think they can hit that top corner all the time. And in practice, they do a lot. But in games, uh, they miss it a lot. And again, no rebound, no chance for deflection. And it's just not a high percentage shot to make. So obviously, if that's the only shot you got, you take it, right? Because it's better to take a shot generally than not. So take that shot. That's fine. But... Try to get the shots down. Try to get them on net. Down hard and on net. You can do that. We're going to be in better shape. All right. Overtime. It, like real overtime in this game. Still a 1-1 tie. Barchi and Horvat get this great 2 on one type opportunity. But I think it's Zajac comes back on Barchi and literally steals the puck from him just as Barchi's coming in on net. And then gets it to Taylor Hall and Hall ruins our day and scores. <sighs> so we lose two to one. And I have to say, okay, we got another point. And this was, again, like a bonus game. And just like I said last week, I was expecting about three points this week. And we got three points this week. So really, not a bad week. But but championship teams win one-goal games. That's really what it comes down to. That teams find a way to win good teams, successful teams, find a way to win one-goal games. Because if you look at their seasons, the successful teams win more of those than they they lose most of the time. And that makes sense because the marginal teams are marginal point teams because they didn't get enough points because they tied games instead of won them. Or they lost games in the third period that they could have tied. They lose points because of single goals on a regular basis. And this is why in the NHL, goal scores are such a premium add one 20-goal scorer to your team. Literally, like, just 20 goals. And that may be five of those goals. Maybe goals in one-goal games. So you get either five or up to 10 more points for your season, by having that extra 20 goals off of your bench. And in some ways, it's pretty simple. But obviously, in practice, it's super hard in getting those, in getting the right mix of players, including goal scoring. And yeah, when the Canucks were doing really well, that's exactly what was happening. They were winning the close game. They were winning a lot of the not close games too. But when it came down to it, you always had that feeling that Vancouver's just about to score. Vancouver's just about to put the puck in and win the game. And oftentimes they did. And that's when I knew the Canucks were a really good team. Nowadays, I see these overtime losses and I think, okay, good. At least we've got a point because I don't see them as that team right now. And that's fine. Like I said, they're rebuilding. I'm going to just keep beating that drum because that's the truth of it. All right. It's time for the postgame. The postgame show. This is the part of the program where I get to note what the Canucks are going to do in the coming week, and how many points I think they might manage in that week. So, we start with tonight. Tonight, the Canucks face Nashville again. So we get that rematch against Nashville. Hopefully, the Canucks can, oh, dare I say it, get another tie, go into overtime, hopefully get the win this time. But it looked like they were... Pretty tightly matched last time. I expect them to be tightly matched again. Probably another one-goal game. Hopefully the Canucks can show that they can be that better team and win it this time. Then we uh, have Friday, January 20th. The Panthers come into town as we continue our little homestand here. Now the Panthers, again, a a team pretty close to the Canucks in the standings. And then it's Luongo again. So it's going to be a tough game. Dare I say it's going to be a close game. But you know what? I'm going to call a win for the Canucks in that game. So that that's going to look good. And then Sunday the 22nd, we have Vancouver and at Chicago. Yikes. <laughs> well, you know, it has to happen every once in a while. We have to come up against a Stanley Cup contending team. Chicago may not be the team they used to be, but still very tough, very offensive team. Taves, Kane, these guys are still among the best. So it's going to be a tough game for the Canucks to win. And you know what? In that game, hands down, no questions asked. If the Canucks can get a point out of that game, I will be thrilled. But here's what I expect. I expect between the game against Nashville and Panthers, we'll get three points. And I'm not calling any points on the Vancouver-Chicago game. So once again, three games this week. I'm expecting three points. So we'll see how that all plays out the next time on Canucks Corner. This is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. Or email me at Pod at gmail.com. That's Canucks Corner Pod, all one word, at gmail.com. And until we pod again, thanks for listening and keep your stick on the ice.